Greetings, and welcome to Grave Words, our after-party for the Something Something Dragons podcast, actual play of the Carrion Crown Adventure Path. We took a couple of episodes off of doing the after-party, but with us just having wrapped up Season 1, we thought that now might be a good time to check in with the girls, touch base about how this book and this season went. So, say hello, heroes. Hello, heroes. Hello. Hi! So the topics that I would like us to discuss in this episode are going to be first, a general reflection about what this first book and this season was, a little bit of what worked, what didn't. I'd also like us to briefly talk about our side quest, but before we touch on any of that, I think we should probably talk about the big old elephant in the room, namely um, the fact that we had a death in episode 33. Huzzah! That's so casually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a loser, Ta-da, <laughs> we had a death. Try to be serious for just a minute here. Because the truth is that, on the one hand, this is a game. We all know it's a game. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the grief of losing a character and knowing that the stories for that character are over are any less real. And honestly, on some level, it makes me glad to know that you're upset about a character's death because then... That means that the character mattered to you, which means that we're doing something right with this little storytelling experiment. But yeah, so let's 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 talk a little bit about that. You know, where where are we all feeling about that? I know that Blue has had characters die in uh, Pathfinder before. She's even had them killed by me as the GM before. Actually, all of them have been killed by you as a GM in Pathfinder. That's true. But I know that for the other three of you, this is probably something that's a little bit newer for you. So, yeah, just talk to me. Where, where, where are we? What are we? How are we feeling? It's sad. I think we all are. I've been, ha- been having to remind myself over the last few days that it's just a game. Like, I've actually... I had at least one dream of where I was in Eklund's body and, like, powerless to stop it. Which I guess is how he must have viewed the situation. Flying over... Like, how do I fix this? Imagine having your dreams make sense. Couldn't relate. <laughs> I mean, sad. sad. I get it. I'm the one over here laughing over my death because but you've also you're the only <laughs> person here who's had a character die in Pathfinder before. I guess that's fair. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm not a hundred percent sure why I'm laughing over it. It it, it might just be because I'm like, yeah, look, I'm, I feel sad. I don't want to cry over here. But also I feel like I'm kind of doing it to try and make it easier for you guys. Don't make me pull back out my Talia voice and have her say encouraging words here, because I will. No. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> and then I will throw my computer. Okay, so so let's talk about this then. Um, Green, I know that you've played a fair bit of D&D. Um, have you ever had a character die in D&D or have a character in your party die? Yes. The, yes to the latter, almost to the former. My first character nearly died. It was a, the, the fact that our cleric's turn was next was the only thing that kept her even stable. We did have one death in the party who was the fighter. Was, he, it's the same situation as with Eklund, which I think is why this is hitting so hard, where he was my character's first friend, like... Like, yeah, like, 
feel like Eklund bonded with Talia first, and it was pr- it was the same with this guy, where just like suddenly, person they had really gotten to know in the party was gone, and wouldn't be coming back. Uh, That's been the hardest part for me. The idea that she's not like had characters leave the party before even in the party i'm running now like we have some on a side quest where they're gone right now they'll be back in a bit it's not going to happen like that here i'm sorry guys but you know it's i know we miss talia but we still have blue at least and we're gonna have yeah characters that blue plays good luck it's gonna take a lot to make me leave (laughs) <laughs> like, look, you can kill my characters all you want, but you ain't getting me out of here for a long time. We're stuck with you. Yeah, basically. It would be really, really weird for your father to be running a game for a bunch of your friends and you not to be playing. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Is there anything else that we want to talk about in regards to Talia's death? It was sad. I kind of want to clarify something, which I've been trying to go over and replay scenarios, which is, could it have gone any differently? Like, I know it came down to a point where it was between Talia and Luther, and that was the worst rock and a hard place we've ever been. Was there anything- You guys couldn't have done anything, but there is something that could have changed it. So, there are any number of choices during the course of that fight that could have made things go differently. I mean, first of all, Blue failed a couple of really important saves. I failed a save. You failed two saves that mattered. uh, Because you failed the save against the collapsing room early on. Right. That hurt me. But then Um, I also failed my reflex save to not take fall damage, guys. And then you failed the reflex save to not take fall damage. I do want to tell you all something. I just, I kind of want to reassure you guys, there wasn't anything you could have done after the reflex save i failed on the fall damage the fall damage killed her she was already dead it wouldn't have like even if someone had been the very next thing in the initiative after the splatterman to try to get to her it wouldn't have changed it she was she was dead at that point oh the minute i hit the ground i died i've been thinking about that part and i ooh, azatha doesn't know this and she's gonna be like, I should have healed her right away. But she was already dead and Azatha doesn't know, so that's gonna be a bit harsh. Yeah, no, so Azatha can feel guilt for not having immediately checked on her. Yes, but I want they to reassure will. the players, not. The the players should know that um, once she failed that save, and once I rolled a six for the falling damage, she was dead. She was I mean, out for the count. It, 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 that that did it. There was nothing that could have changed it at that point. But there's any number of things that could have changed what happened during the course of that fight. Like I said, there were a couple of important saving throws that were failed. The first two magic missiles that the Splatterman sent out, he was using maximized magic missile, which meant they automatically did max damage. The round that he hit both Azatha and Talia, and this is what took Azatha down to 1 HP and knocked Talia unconscious and then the fall killed her, he used a empowered magic missile. Mm. Which, what empowered does is all of the dice rolls are multiplied by 50%. So it's one and a half times whatever you rolled. So he actually ended up doing more damage with 
those two magic missiles than he did when he was using the maximized magic missile. And I rolled like a boss. I rolled on the 2d4 plus 2, I rolled a 9 and an 8. Boss rolls like a boss. That would do it. Yeah, l- l- like like a boss, like a BBEG. Yeah. I, so. Does BBEG even stand for Big Bad of the Entire Big Game? Big Bad Evil Guy. Oh, I was probably like Big Bad of the Entire Game, of entire game but I was like, wait, that, that doesn't... Eh. I mean, that would work too, but yeah, no, it means Big Bad Evil Guy. <laughs> um... um. <laughs> <laughs> RGM was the one who taught me that acronym, and I haven't stopped using it. <laughs> I've seen it in memes, but I've never understood it. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that made a huge difference in that fight was, honestly, Luther scoring that critical hit right at the beginning of the fight. But in some ways, that actually made Talia's survival more likely, because the Splatterman is a wizard with an intelligence of 20. He's not dumb. He knew that the person using divine magic was the biggest threat to him. So if Luther hadn't painted a big old target on himself, Talia was going to be target number one right from the beginning. But yeah, I mean, there's any number of things that could have changed what happened, but once she got hit with that magic missile and fell, yeah, she was dead when she was around. You guys wouldn't have been able to get over to her and save her. That makes it both better and worse. (laughs) That's actually why I was trying to give I was trying to give Red an out there with, you know, the well, here's give yourself a perception check before you pour the potion down her throat, because I don't want you wasting a cure moderate wounds potion. You might need it. It was just thinking in character. <laughs> no, no, it makes total sense. I don't have a problem with it. I was just trying I to give you an to out. Like, also, the reason why I was muted was A, so I didn't slip up because I didn't because you guys you guys didn't know if she was dead or not, and I didn't want to just go, you just killed me! Yeah. But I also muted again when you were checking out my body and like getting the potion because I was silently going like, no, don't, don't waste the mod, don't waste the mod. <laughs> and then like when Thank you poured it, I was like silently screaming. Actually, I was not silently screaming. I was sc- not too loud, but it was like just screaming over here like, oh God, they wasted a mod on my dead body. <laughs> I. <laughs> oh no. I will tell you guys that when you get to hear the episode, I did some pretty extensive editing to move around your speech and not have you guys talking over each other and to make sure that the audience will be able to listen and follow along. I tried to keep things as close to the order that they actually happened and to keep, you know, everyone's actual thoughts and sentiments in in the recording. This has been the only episode where I have, I'm not sure if it was even audible, but I was crying while we were recording. I don't cry during character deaths. Is that just me? I didn't cry, but... The only time I've cried during a movie was during Pixar's Coco, I think. Hmm. I had a reason to cry. I mean, out of, like, the sadness. Sometimes things have scared me, but, like... Sure. So is there anything else we want to talk about, about Talia's death, before we get on to talking about the season as a whole? Um, not that I can think of. I want to say sorry. You don't have to there apologize. It wasn't your fault. I know, but I still, I still feel like I should say sorry. It was not your fault. It really wasn't. Yeah, it. I still feel bad, you know, because I was the one over here taking it the best and like laughing and making jokes, and then you guys are like all sad and crying, and I feel bad. Again, oh, no, no, it's fine. Had... I joke about death all the time too. It's just, I get it. 
You know, just missed all. I was, I was mad at myself for reacting in such like a, like uh, for reacting so strongly because there was part of me that was sitting there like it's a game, you fool, and the rest of me was crying all over my microphone. Your brain called you a fool. You, you had the chance to get attached to this character. It's completely fine that you have an emotional attachment to her. React however you need to. So all right, I'll I'll tell you guys a little peek behind the curtain about. Well, almost exactly two years ago at this point. Uh, about two years ago, my dad, my so Blue's grandfather, was in the hospital. He'd had heart surgery, and then after the surgery went fine, but then there were complications. He was in the hospital for two months, and then we put him in hospice, and then he passed. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's two years ago. It's, it's, it's fine. But the week after his funeral was when Avengers Endgame came out. Ooh. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Avengers Endgame, but it's two years. I feel like we're past the... Uh... Time skip like two minutes, probably. Yeah, if you need to skip a forward two minutes, go ahead and do so. So at the end of the movie, after Tony Stark uses the Infinity Gauntlet and, you know, sets everything right, but is dying, Pepper Potts and Peter Parker are the two who make it over to him in time to talk to him before he dies. So in other words... His wife and, for all intents and purposes, his adopted kid. And, you know, they say things to him like, you know, Hey, you did it. You saved everyone. It's okay. You can let go. Which is exactly the same things that we were saying when we were in hospice on the last day before my dad died. You know, I'm in this movie theater. Um, I'm part of a group that dresses up and does, like, superheroes for appearances. So I'm there in full Doctor Strange costume loving every bit of the movie at this point we get there and i just start sobbing and it wasn't really about tony stark it was about my dad but i don't think there's any shame in having an emotional reaction or not having an emotional reaction because i'm not trying to put any shade on not crying over these things but there's no shame to be had in having an emotional reaction to a character death or to anything that happens to a character if you're invested. Like I said, you know, the character was fictional, but your emotional attachment was real. And the grief over, hey, there's no more stories for this character, that's legitimate, that's fair. I think that that was the worst, like just realizing that, cause I was trying to put it in terms of a game and I'm like, well, just think of Link. And then I'm like, Link comes back. Mm -hmm. If Link bites it, he just gets re reincarnated when you click this reload the last save button. It's not going to happen like that here. Well, and even more to the point, like, you know, let's say at the end of a cinematic that comes at the end of your favorite video game, the character dies. Because there's some video games where that happens. Yeah. You can still restart the cartridge and play the adventure again. We can't yep. really do that. We could always do more <laughs> game. So. But, you know. Yeah. So. Doctor Who time bullcrap. Come on, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say this, guys, though. Also, uh, it's totally okay to cry over her. Because I've cried over dumb little one-shots I found of characters. And they're not even, like, a chapter of a book long. They're, like, a few pages of a book long. Yet I'm over here crying. Y you can cry. It's okay. I- that's why I'm saying sorry, though, because I feel bad that I'm making you all cry, yet I'm laughing. I would do the same thing. <laughs> I'm with you, I, I was kind of laughing at the same time, actually. Oh, as Talia died, though, I was sitting there going, 
would this death have the same impact if it was someone else? And I think it's a yes and no. Like, we'd all be sad if Alaris died. We would all be sad. Yeah, We'd all be yeah, crying. Hopefully. Probably. I I'm pretty sure I can't control myself when it comes to this, so I don't know. But we'd all be sad. But, like, there's the difference of Talia's kind of become the face of the party. And the mom to all of us. She was. She mom became mom. a... Look, you know, Eklund and Alaris didn't always get along as often. Eklund didn't always get along. Talia managed to get along with almost everyone. Yeah. And I feel like with... Uh, it's also... I'm just thinking of, like, how... I was thinking of what would happen if Eklund died, and I'm like, I'm not sure I'd cry for the reason that I know who my backups are. Like, that's part I mean, of it. Is I don't know what's going to happen. For if Eklund died, I would know exactly my plans. I have a character in the wings. I just haven't written his sheet yet. Like, same. If Eklund died, I would kind of feel bad for making fun of him as much as I did, but other than that, I, I don't know. Exactly! Like, I'm not gonna say I wouldn't cry over you guys, but I feel like we wouldn't be having as bad of a reaction here, because Talia was just made to be loved, and I Everyone did that friends. well. I did it well, and I hate it now. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on yeah okay. so other than the big issue of talia's death what were your overall impressions of this adventure um you know how how do you feel about this as the start for a greater adventure um what did you like what did you not like what didn't work for you i really liked being able to stab as many things as i did fair that, that might just be me one thing I found interesting about this, about the adventure, is how the side quest was the thing that made me want to continue. I wanted to continue with book two, but the side quest made me, like, raring to go because of the revelation in the end about the Whispering Way. How, like, they were planning to kill Lorimore. Now, even though Eklund doesn't know about any of that, as a player... I want to go, you know, bash some heads in the Whispering Way, so I liked that sort of tie-in. Yeah, it's cool. It's you might want to go back and re-listen -re to or reread that note. Uh, they weren't planning to kill Lorimore. They were planning to do but a they... thing, and they are like, well, he might get in the way, and if he does... If he does, like, still. It still bothered me. Like, sure. That, that, that he wasn't they knew of him, and he- I don't know. It just bothers me. I say, in some ways, that makes it worse, because it means that, you know, they, uh, they were totally willing to kill him and were aware of him, but it was very casual and very, like, eh, if we have to kill him, we have to kill him. It really does put in and I can talk, into perspective how much of a big thing that is, and other side quests and stories really makes you realize that this is meant to be a bigger thing, and it's not just all around our players. And it really does kind of hype you up for what else is out there, I could say. Okay. Well, I'm glad. It's kind of flowing into the third point about what you guys thought about the side quest. But So what what mysteries do you guys have about this book? What, what bits did you feel like, okay, I don't feel like this ever got explained and I'm wondering about it. And now that it's not going to ruin anything for the plot, tell me. One thing that bothered me was the random little things in Harrowstone. Why were there why were there animated handcuffs? It didn't like the specters and the haunts made sense, but like random flying straight jacket. Who put that there? 
I mean, that's usually a haunted mansion. It was haunted. That's usually, I I can I like I consider it like I'd think of a flying sword in D and D. Who made that? It's rarely okay, so happened on their own. This isn't D and D. An enchanted weapon is one thing. A haunt is an d- entirely different thing. Yes, if there's an enchanted weapon, then the question of how did this get created does become one that matters. For a haunt, I mean, what you had was, you know, there were hundreds of people who died unexpectedly, violently in Harrowstone. And there's a lot of just ghostly energy that is infecting the whole place. So everything that was a haunt did have a story to it. It wasn't always a specific person. Sometimes, you know, the haunt was like... I mean, the manacles were there because people were tortured wearing those manacles. Uh, Same with the straitjacket. The oven that came to life and tried to fry you guys. I forgot about that. There was, if you guys had taken, actually, I think you did take the time. I'm trying to remember, but uh, there were bones of someone who was cremated inside the oven. Yeah. And it was his ghost that was powering that haunt. When you guys got, were down on into the basement of Harrowstone, the guard... All right, so, like, the story with the Lopper is kind of a weird, twisted story. The head that you found at the bottom of the Lopper's oubliette belonged to the beheaded skeleton that you fought just before the oubliette. I figured. The Lopper's personal story is that he had gotten out of the oubliette through the use of a uh, potion of levitation that the Splatterman had smuggled to him. He had used the potion of levitation to levitate up to the edge of the oubliette, and then when the guard came to feed him, he grabbed the guard, cut off his head, and took the guard's keys, and that's how he got out. Well, then when the fire started, he used a rope and tied it to the top of his oubliette to hide down in the oubliette while the fire was happening, Figuring, well, once the fire burns out, I can, and, you know, I'll be free. But the fire had weakened the rope, and so when he was trying to climb up, the rope broke, and he broke his legs and just starved at the bottom of the oubliette, which is how he came back as a wraith. Hence why it was bony. Yep. That makes me want, yeah, that, that was the other thing, was, who started the fire? We didn't well, start we the fire. Didn't. So this is the thing that as a GM, I both love and hate about the way Paizo writes their adventure paths. Paizo oh. writes a ton of detail into the backstory for their adventure paths. On the one hand, I love this because it means that as a GM, I never find myself going, well, why did this happen? There's almost always an answer. The downside is, so much of it, I'm like, there is no way I will ever have a reason to tell the players about this thing that happened. Yeah. What happened was Lopper and Splatterman worked together to basically start the riot and start the attempt to escape. They seized complete control of the lower level. The Warden triggered the deadfall, which sealed the dungeon, which, and then... You can always pull it up, you know? And that's what I did. I did pull it up. Okay, yeah, so there was the deadfall. There was a way out, but the the other lift could only be operated from above. Vissoriano was in the prison and was trying to get the guards who are up on the upper level to, hey, 
send the lift down to get my husband out of there. She, in hysterics, tried to send the lift down there and instead crashed it, you know, destroying the other lift so there was no other way. Prisoners then started trying to climb the chain that connected the lift and the guards then took the lamp oil from the storeroom and tossed it down. When the Splatterman came out into view and started using his magic to attack the guards, one of the guards panicked and threw a torch into the oil, and that's what started the fire. Uh, uh, it was actually a guard that... The guard started the fire, but the guard started the fire because the prisoners were climbing up the chains, and he panicked. Splatty, how did he die? Did he just die from the fire? Splatterman himself died from... I think he died in the explosion where the fire started because he was there in that room when the fires was lit. Uh, let me pull up his character sheet to make sure, but I believe that's correct. Why was Father Charlatan just mummified? Uh, so he wasn't mummified in the sense of, like, wrapped up in linens and formal oh, yeah, mummified. in the chains. The oh, chain. he was... So, Father Charlatan wasn't in the basement because he wasn't a murderer. He was chained up pretty heavily, and by by orders of the various faiths who he had uh, blasphemed against, that's why all of those chains were on him and had the holy symbols of the faiths on the chains. When the fire happened, just no one came to get him. He just starved up there. Oh, God. So, you know, that was terrible. Um, yeah. Um, Piper. Yeah. What, who was he? Did they ever give his name in the Magic GM papers? No, they do not. Hmm. The the Piper is an enigma. He should not be named. He's just an enigma. Um. Oh, okay, yeah. So here's how the Splatterman died. He was in the middle of it when the the fire came. He was covered in oil and burning to the bone. Um. He ran in pain back to the south towards you know, back towards where he had been trapped. And in his blind agony, he stumbled into his oubliette and died from the fall. Pathfinder was kind of like, hey, how do we kill everyone? Ooh, fall damage. Oh no. It's honestly kind of poignant. (gasps) Oh! I'm sorry! It's vaguely poignant. (laughs) Talia and the Splatterman. I'm sorry! In the same oubliette. I'm so sorry, that was not intentional! Well, at least Talia didn't fall into the oubliette. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say, if that had happened, I'd have to go find someone. I mean, it's not the author's fault. Um. Uh, Then I'd hit hit the concept person. Yeah, uh, the other issue is that uh, the Splatterman, in life, he was an 8th level wizard, but he didn't have his spellbook. However, he has a feat, actually he took it several times, um, that is called Spell Mastery. And with Spell Mastery, you pick a spell that is a spell you're able to cast, and you can prepare it even if you don't have your spell book. So even though he had up to fourth level spell slots, the only spells he could cast were Comprehend Languages, Dispel Magic, Levitate, Magic Missile, and Summon Monster. Those were the only spells he could cast. But since he did have both the uh, Empower spell and Maximize spell uh, metamagic feats, he had a high-level version of Magic Missile in his 4th-level spell slot. Isn't that a sorcerer thing, though? Metamagic? No. 
Uh, wizards can use meta magic, so can sorcerers. The only difference, wizards have to prepare the spell using the meta magic. Um, mm. So, like a wizard who has a meta magic feat that lets them prepare a spell in one slot higher than they normally could, uh, can do that when they prepare spells that day. They just have to do it when they prepare. Huh. It's kind of cool. So, like Azatha, if she picked up any meta magic feats, could prepare spells using using the meta magic if she wanted to. All right. So, what else, what other questions or issues do you, did you have looking at the the AP as a whole? Is there anything about the Piper that we didn't already get information on? Not a lot. The Piper is pretty much just a big, scary booga booga. Um, he is probably has the least well defined story of any of the uh, the big five prisoners. I will tell you one thing that you'd never find out, and unfortunately, neither does the Soriana. But for all that the Soriana feels like she's responsible for her husband's death by triggering the uh, collapse of the of the lift, she's not. Um, he had already been tortured to death long before she did that. So, oh no! So, it's not her fault that her husband died. After this bit, I want Eklund to dig them up and kill them again. <laughs> mm. Don't we all? Same. Talia, as a ghost, talking to these spirits. So what the actual heck? Well, the good yeah. news is that with you guys giving Vasoriana her husband's badge, she is going to move on and take all of the hauntings out of Harrowstone with her. Uh, so Harrowstone is no longer haunted as of... That was one of my other questions, oh, was did Vasoriana pass on? Yes. Vasoriana was able to move on after after you guys gave her the badge. God, she deserves it. Yep. Good. And I know someone who didn't! Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm not going to talk tell you guys exactly what happens to Talia in the afterlife, because that might come up later on. But, uh... She just vibes. She's just vibing over here. I'm just imagining every time that they do something dumb, or like, like every time that, I don't know, Lyris kicks a giant ooze, or Eklund gets himself hammered and blacks out, or does something stupid and gets himself in trouble, she and Lorimore just up in heaven, just face palming. <laughs> I sure she'll face palming everything. <laughs> oh, Eklund's being an idiot again. I wouldn't heal him for that normally. Oh, I suppose one other thing that is worth pointing out, because you asked me about it off-air, Eklund did not kill Gibbs. Okay, yeah, oh. that, that was the first thing yeah. I asked when we finished the AP, was did, was Eklund the murderer? When we finished this book, we are nowhere near done with the AP. I thought it was clear that it was the, the what's, what's their, what are they called, zombie things? Yeah, zombies. Yes, it was the zombies. Uh, the zombies were the ones who killed Gibbs, and... But it happened at the same time that Eklund was possessed. What was my other question? Whose blood was on the statue? It was just animal blood. Okay. So everything we said was correct! <laughs> and Eklund I was the boy who wouldn't listen to us. But, but I was like, I, I was just having these like nightmarish visions of him like killing Gibbs and using his blood on the statue. Well, and you I... were meant to. But <laughs> I mean, no had him run say, No, it was Gibbs. No one's gonna miss him. But... Not, not, <laughs> Gibbs is actually fairly respected in town. None of us are gonna miss him. Well, no, 
part of the reason I had Eklund run away from that scene was because I myself was having trouble comprehending it. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, mysteries? I had uh, a bunch of them and I've forgotten them. Um, yes, but it might not be answered. The side quest. Okay, the side quest. What about it? Yeah, so those three boys didn't get anything out of it. Out of the side quest? Yeah, because no, it was the wrong thing, right? So, what was that skull actually do? That I cannot answer. Ah, not like not the skull they're looking for, the skull they smashed. Right. I can't answer that either. Oh, why? And for that matter, who was the fire lady that almost kicked our butts? The short version is the side quest was both related and unrelated. The purpose of the side quest was to kind of introduce some of the stuff going on in Lepistat at the same time as what's going on in your adventure, to establish Judge Dermid as someone who is knowledgeable and trustworthy, or at least somewhat trustworthy, and to establish her friendship with Lorimore. All I'm going to say beyond that is that while the specific members of the Whispering Way that you guys were chasing are unconnected to what is going on with the rest of the AP as a whole, the person that they were that they'd received the letter from is directly connected. So the Whispering Way is basically they've got their fingers in a lot of different pies. So one group was working to try to find ways to free the Whispering Tyrant. That's what brought them to that crypt, because they were hoping that they would find some way to work towards the rituals that would help them free the Tyrant. We're going to fight Tarbophon, aren't we? You are not going to fight Tarbophon. There is a whole different AP for that. That's what I was say. There's a different adventure path for that. Yep. If you want to do that one, we got to finish There is an adventure path for everything. No, but yeah. there are 20-some adventure paths. So there's a lot of content, and Paizo has done a pretty good job of making Galarian a very rich world with a lot of different moving pieces and moving parts. And through the stories in the adventure paths and the modules and the stuff that they do through Pathfinder Society, the story does move forward. So Galarian in 4716, which is where your AP takes place, is in some ways a very different Galarian than Galarian of 4711, which is where the first adventure path, Rise of the Rune Lords, takes place. Um, <laughs> I can't do baby's rattle. Yep. That said, there are huge areas that they talk about in the Inner Sea World Guide that they've never written an, an AP to do, to do anything with. So there's a lot that you can do in, in the setting that doesn't use one of the existing APs. I just happen to really like their APs. I think their APs are really well written. And as a GM, they take a lot of the work out of things for me. And also they they give me a roadmap for a full campaign instead of just an adventure. You know, this, this, this adventure path takes characters from level one up through level 16. That's a, that's, that's a whole game. And at the end of it, if you retire the characters at that point, you know, they've completed an epic story. So I like APs, but there's also, like I said, there's tons of stuff that has never been done in an AP. Like one of my favorite areas in Galarian is a country called Galt, 
which is kind of based on uh, revolutionary France, complete with these horrible, horrible murder devices called... Uh, I'll look up what they're called, but they're they're basically guillotines, but worse because they capture blade. final blades. Yes, they they capture the person's soul when they're used to behead someone. Oh no! That would prevent them from moving on to the afterlife. Yes, but more importantly, as far as they're concerned, it prevents you from then casting rays dead on them. Being able to keep them from going on to the afterlife is, I suppose, nice if you want to torture them forever. But it's more important if you've just executed the king and you want to make sure that nobody, n none of the king's loyal followers that go and dig up his body and then take him to a priest of uh, Serenre and have him brought back from the dead. Oh, my mind was going to their need souls for power. No, they could be doing something to bank on the, the, the you know, use the, use the souls as, like, batteries. But really, it's just about, no, we just want to make sure that nobody brings these nobles back from the dead after we execute them. And Father Grimborough bring back the dead? Yes. Can you... <laughs> you can't oh. tell you can't be brought back. Yeah, don't. It's fine. She, you she's need a body now. Okay, I get... But yeah, you need a body for that to work. Talia, it's a tree now. Talia's also a fae. So the ability to use raised dead on the fae is somewhat questionable. I heard it costs a lot. Well, if her wings are made of tree now. Yeah. Um, oh. but in all seriousness, like, if you go on the Paizo forums and say, you know, try to do a search for, can you use raised dead on, a, on someone with the fae subtype? There's a lot of discussion and there is no consensus. It's technically doesn't their, like, essence or spirit or whatever go back to, like, the fae in nature and stuff, and it's kind of re-entered into all of that cycling system? Yeah, uh, Talia's spirit should have gone back to the first world after she died. Really? Should've. Should've? Yeah. Should've. I'm not it did. She's saying for- I'm not saying for sure if it did, but that's what's supposed to happen to a fae when they die. I'm just having a vision of at the end of the AP of the party, like back in Ravengrow, and just Talia's tree as this enormous thing, and then um, a giant owl just circling and landing in the tree. That would be a very cool <laughs> image to end the AP. As long as Eklund isn't dead. As long as Eklund isn't dead. <laughs> Alright, so any other questions about the first book, the first season of the Adventure Path? Were you aiming to kill me? Alright, full disclosure, I very much thought it likely that someone was going to die. Yeah, alright, I assumed that. I did too. Yeah. Honestly, the only way that Splatterman doesn't kill people um, is if you play him really stupidly. Or if the party has somehow managed to use up all of the ghost touch weapons and not keep the lopper's axe and... So, you know, they're restricted to whatever magic, offensive magic they have and whatever channels they have and, you know, go into that fight. Like, <laughs> Splatterman is entirely capable of being a TPK encounter, especially with the haunt before it. So I figured someone was going to die. With that thought, I will say that knowing that Blue is my daughter and that I've killed her characters before... I certainly was willing to make her 
the one where if anyone was going to die, I wanted it to burn. Okay. Thinking about this earlier, and I was actually thinking that that was your thought process. I was trying to figure out, um, like, I was just figuring it was because she was a divine caster, but I was also thinking that I was assuming that Talia was going to heal herself and that Luther was going to bite it. And then when she healed Luther, I was just like, hang on a second. So if I, I, I will tell you flat out that if Blue had not healed Luther, he was going to die the next turn. I can guarantee I don't like that my choices are my own lifer, Luther. Yeah, he, he, he almost certainly would have died if Talia had not healed him. And honestly, part of it is because if he hadn't been healed, he wouldn't have gone out into the room chasing after Splatterman. Which means that when Splatterman flew through the wall, he would have seen Luther, and he would have hit Luther again with the magic missiles, and that would have I also I'm mad at myself, because I feel like if I hadn't wasted those turns flying around trying to put his name on the wall, we might have... So you only wasted... You only ended up wasting one turn doing it. I don't think it would have made a difference. But, I mean, there's so much that can go differently in a Pathfinder fight that it's really impossible to know. So the, That sure. was also, that was the first, normally I'm like, I have Eklund at the front, like I'm trying to be like, hit me instead of them, I'm the tank, I should be able to take it. Minute Splatterman threw one, I was like, Eklund will get two shotted if I use that here. Um, I think about this sometimes, but even if you think, oh, this one decision, this might have changed this, or this might change this, there's literally infinite possibilities of what could have happened when that would change one tiny factor of another, and just even if there was, like, a ton of universes that where one tiny thing would have changed, it's, there's only a small possibility that this specific thing would have happened, or... Don't beat yourself up about it. It's almost impossible to actually think of a specific way of which this could have went. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I thought it was likely that someone was going to die, possibly more than one someone. But I will ask, I suppose, do you guys feel like the death was... I'm trying to find the right word. Do you feel like the... I was, yeah, like, do you feel like the death fit into the story? Like, did it make sense within context of everything that was happening? Yes. I think so, yeah. Like, you know, if you were watching a movie or reading a book and happened, would you go, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense. Or would you go, no, I'm really sad. I didn't want that to happen. But it makes sense that it happened that way. Probably the latter. I feel like it does make sense. I think that because because um mostly because talia was both the healer and the divine user i was like i was figuring splatterman was gonna go after her and uh, i don't know i figured i figured she'd be the target i did too for the did it thing i feel like i've it didn't feel like it at the time just because it's so suddenly and she has such a big impact on who the party is then again we all do but how we play up what happens after this will really shape does this make sense or not in character that part interests me yeah like what comes after this yeah how will our characters play? How do our characters think? Will this all actually come together in a way that makes sense from how we've built everything so far? That makes sense. 
I agree. I'm just. I feel like it made sense. I was a hundred percent like going in there, going, "All right, one bad choice is gonna kill me," and I made two that killed me. But uh, I also <laughs> want to just say this. I find it kind of sad that the thing that killed her was the thing that she loved so much and kept criticizing you guys for not doing or not having. Flying. Because she's constantly like, right, you guys can't fly. You should just get a pair of wings. It'll be so much easier. At the one point, Eklund beat her in that. So, because Eklund finally does, and then she dies. And then she oh. dies. But because she's flying, she fell and died. And... Uh, I'm just... I'm reminded of... There, there's a quote from one of the Artemis Fowl books where he's... He says, um... I've uh, th I was think I've been thinking about it, and there was no way out of that situation, not without prior knowledge. We would have had to we would have had to know exactly what was coming to get out of there, and that drives me so frigging crazy. And I'm debating changing my backup to a diviner for that reason. Diviners <laughs> no, suck. I mean, diviners rock, but suck. The one thing I will tell you guys that you might have been able to do that might have made a difference is uh, destroying the Splatterman spellbook if you do it more slowly can actually do more damage to him. Each time you rip a page out of it, it does 1d6 damage plus the number of spells that you destroyed. Mm -hmm. So nice. by doing all of it at once, you did 1d6 plus 9 points of damage. If you had done it over the course of multiple turns, you could have done 1d6 plus 1, 1d6 plus 1, 1d6 plus 1, 1d6 plus Damn 1. It. That would have made a huge difference. Except it would have taken several turns, and those would have been actions that you weren't doing other things. So I don't know that it would have made a difference. It might have. Yeah, it would have been, well... We had no idea that was the case. No, the other thing is, and this never came up, but the Splatterman was never going to directly attack whoever was holding his spellbook. I should have hold, held it more openly, or given it to someone else. <laughs> he didn't attack you until you destroyed it. Yeah, right. Oh, I forgot. Huh. Oh, that's a question I wanted to ask. Is Azotha's magic OCD cured now? It will be, yeah, the next time she rests. Oh, that's good. I thought that was it. <laughs> Uh, if she had ditched the spellbook without destroying the Splatterman, uh, it would have taken two weeks, but it would have gone away anyways. But because you destroyed the Splatterman, the next time she rests, it'll go away. That I that was one point where I was I knew it was beneficial to the story to let it happen, but that was hard for me because I have OCD in real life, and to the idea of one of my friends going through that was just killing me a little bit inside every time she had to so i'll tell you that each of the uh, items both provided a pretty significant benefit but also had a pretty significant curse if you were using them like obviously you figured out the spell book the holy symbols from father charlatan were were giving talia a bonus to her saving throws against all of the haunts and ghosts but they also made it so she had a 10% chance of failing any divine spell she cast. That's why I was rolling the 1d100. Yep. The axe, you didn't pull out until the fight with the lopper, so you didn't really have a chance for its curse to hit you. Each day, the owner of the axe was going to take uh, 
point of con damage as the axe was basically cutting into them psychically. <laughs> that is pretty dangerous. And once you started using it, you wouldn't have been able to Sounds switch dangerous. to a different weapon. Ooh. The hammer from the uh, Mosswater Marauder, if you were using it within 20 feet of the Mosswater Mar Marauder, all of the saves were uh, easier. But each round, you had to make a will save to resist the compulsion to attack the nearest living creature with the hammer. No one ever pulled the hammer out of the bag, so that never mattered. And the uh, silver flute. I was so, so hoping that Yellow was going to pull it out and start playing it. I wanted to. Nobody let me. Why can't you let me make bad decisions? It was cursed! If you had played it, even a single note, you would have to make a will save, or you would start going into a whole long uh, dirge on the flute that you could not easily stop. I didn't know you knew how to play the flute. I didn't either. <laughs> Each round you play the flute, you have to make a fortitude save or take damage as blood just starts running from your eyes and ears and fingertips. Ooh, Ooh I'm glad that didn't happen. Hey, uh, can I use it now that the the piper's not a problem anymore? Absolutely, and now it's just a uh, now it's just a uh, a, a masterwork silver flute. Nice. But if you had played the flute up near his haunt, it would have caused all of the skeletons to stop and just start dancing, <laughs> and it would have caused the sturges to stop attacking. Also, the haunt itself was going to take d6 damage every round that the flute was being played. So That would have been useful, but I think that the payoff would have been too creepy to... <laughs> yeah. What happened? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Eklund would, have, Eklund would have literally just kicked Alyris and ripped it out of her hands. Like, that. just that visual would scare the bejesus out of him. All right, so then the last thing I want to touch on, just real fast, is any other thoughts about, uh, not specifically about how it tied into the Inventure Path, but what did you guys think about the side quest? What was it like playing characters, like I said, who you hadn't created and were one-off characters? I wasn't there. Side quest was interesting because it was the first time I ever played a character where I was like, well, if they die, so what? Because I didn't write them. If Soria bit it, oh well, it was a good time. If Eklund bites it, I might cry. Like, it was a weird difference. So I'll tell you that the side quest was very much the experience you would have if you ever go to a gaming convention and sign up to play a game at a, at a convention where they will hand you a pre-generated character and they'll be like, okay, this is your character, this is their background, this is their motivation, and here's a little bit of role-playing and now we're going to jump right into an adventure. What do you guys think about if we have other times where someone is unavailable, should we do a side quest type thing? Or would you rather just take a week off? Uh, I mean, that's part of why we do record three weeks in advance, so that if it happens, we shouldn't ever cause an interruption for our audience, but... I would rather do a side quest. Like, I'd... if we don't do one that ties into the main story, I, I want to do one like that Weepy Goblins thing you mentioned. Yes. I agree. Do you prefer to have a side quest that does tie in? Would you rather just do something weird and random? I'd rather alternate. Okay. Like, I'm fine with side quests that tie in, but I also want to do something funny every once in a while. Fair. Yeah. Totally fair. All right. Well, then, do we have any other parting thoughts before we end this uh, this Grave Words recap? Oh, I forgot to ask this 
couple times. This is, when does the story pick up for the next book? Or will we find that out? So, the, the next episode we record is going to basically be the transition between the two books. Because there's still, I think, about two weeks before you guys are, according to Laura Moore's will, supposed to leave Ravengrove. So, the next episode, we're going to kind of skim through those two weeks. The adventure picks up when you guys hit the road to, to leave for Lipestat. But we're going to at least touch on what it is that you guys were doing during those two weeks. Um, we will probably introduce Blue's backup character during that period. So, uh, I want to add something. Yeah? Pretty sure Talia's birthday ha happens around then? It does. In that two weeks? Yeah. Talia's yeah. birthday is actually uh, two days after her death. Oh, come on. She was almost 19, y'all. No. Should I scream or just, should I mute and scream or just <laughs> scream? <laughs> almost 19. Is there uh, something specific you wanted to do with downtime, Red? Or are you just wondering? I was just curious it was what was going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, so like I said, we're going to we're going to pretty much skim through those two weeks, but we're going to pick up with you know, pretty much right after, but like I said, we're going to skim through it so that the next episode we can actually get to start at Okay, so who just posted in the chat that uh you all y'all better throw her a, throw Talia a birthday party at her tree and now the song The Hanging Tree from The Hunger Games in my head and I want to hit something. I I actually had a I had a question for the party. Trees can't eat cake. Uh, she's gonna be like, we will you. bury it. <laughs> bury cake? Give me cake. Yes. Kind of a waste of cake, not gonna lie. Alright, if it is, don't eat <laughs> any cake, I'm going to haunt the heck out of you. No, you're not. Uh, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> don't test Talia's ghost. We won't, because the GM won't allow it. <laughs> yeah. I want to... Uh, ask the party a question of course which, and blue no answering well i died because i will cry again <laughs> how have your characters changed from our first pre-adventure to now well talia died <laughs> yellow i'm going to find you and throw worm on a strings at your window all night <laughs> Ooh, fun free worm on a strings all right no, but honestly, yeah. Seriously, it's a good question. Let, let's I do have an answer. answer. It isn't just, I died. Talia did still change. She, uh, I mean, back in the beginning, you know, she saw a spooky ghost and went, ah, spooky ghost. In the end, oh, though, yeah. well, Spider-Man, and she was just like, time to die. Not thinking it would be her. But, you know, like, she was yeah. fighting. She fought the Lopper with no fear over him being a spooky ghosty thing. She fought an actual ghost. Because that's what Splatterman was. And didn't be scared. She just fought him. Well, actually, she didn't do much to him. But she tried to fight him. You were part of the fight. You didn't just run and away. And there wasn't even any, I hate this, I hate this. I'm so yeah. scared. Just, I fight. So she beat her ghost phobia. No, she still hates ghosts. And, I mean, I guess she grew a bit. Because, you know, I never really got a touch on this. But... As I mentioned, she had lots of fears of being, like, alone and abandoned. 
she got over those a bit. And also, you know, she fought the professor, man. That's true, yeah. She fought kind of a father figure. Now we're coming to Kendra and being like, Hi, someone died. Never thought that we we're gonna have to reveal this to Kendra. Oh my god, I'm going- In the entire oh, town! Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> In the entire town, yeah. Oh no. The entire town tries to throw us a party. Eklund's gonna, like, throw a Molotov cocktail at them and run for the Don't hills. Don't do that. Don't throw things at people. They have good intentions. I mean, this town's kind of not that rich. They're not gonna have enough to throw a little party. Alright, so Red, how, what's your answer to, to Green's question? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Ah, uh, man. I think I pictured her differently when I wrote her, and it, she really came out who she is from the interactions. But even I don't know what that is. <laughs> it changed her alignment. Oh yeah, I did. It's true. That was fun. I oh yeah, I I um saw her. And her character class. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. More functionality than character-wise, as um yeah, but. Oh, I built her, like, backstory around a lot of other things not centered around the path that kind of came up over time in my head. I feel like I would be able to build her better from those if if those experiences ever come up. But it was cool to, like, kind of build her around what happened. Even I still don't know <laughs> completely how she turned out or how to describe her, but... It was quite interesting. Like, oh yeah, I saw her m much more um, reserved, more of a jerk, <laughs> actually, um, at first. And like, as long as I'm not doing anything illegal, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> because the, the lawful neutral part, right? But I, as long as I'm not doing anything to... illegal, that's <laughs> not true. You literally scammed someone. Which is true. Exactly why I changed it made her more of a good wannabe, the good person in the situation kind of person. Alright. Hello. How has Alyrus changed? I honestly have no idea. I can't really think of a way off the top of my head, but... Honestly, I feel like Alyrus has probably changed the least. I stabbed more things. You have stabbed more things. I kicked, I kicked a skeleton in the face. I was gonna say, I actually have some thoughts I wanted to share with you about that when it's time for you to level up next, but uh, we can do that off air. Yeah. Alright, well, Green, answer your own question. Mm-hmm. I was... noticed it was around whichever episode it was. I mean, I guess the episode was called The Lopper. I don't know what number that was, but the one where where Azatha nearly died, and I guess now with Talia's death, it's now more than ever. Eklund realized that life is short over the course of it he had i i had it had started with i had been playing him as this like emo character probably because i didn't have a better way of doing it because i was kind of depressed in quarantine then i got back to with virtual school and saw people again and i started realizing that playing him was depressing so i decided i i mentioned to the gm off air should i chain i, I wanted to switch to my backup and he said change the character like don't switch, don't change characters, change the character. So, I did, and that gave me this... It was that episode where I realized I could make that change to have him- to give him an excuse to suddenly be like, Oh my god, what am I doing? She almost died, I'm going to die eventually, what am I doing? I'm eight- like, I need friend. like, he realized he needed friends. 
Talia the entire time. Am I a joke to you? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> we were no. friends. <laughs> they already were friends, but he was—he was still standoffish to her. He was. I'm yeah. also, there was one thing about him that didn't change the entire time, and that he still kind of simps for Talia, even though she friend zoned him. He's Please don't like, simp for her anymore. That she's dead. Don't, don't, don't become Nerkashili. We don't need you, no. her. He's, but he's at Ew. the point where he's like, like he's like, I would throw myself through a fire to get to something to revive her, and I just like, I feel like imagining her like, get on with your life, which we had a very long discussion about. Hey, Green, listen, yeah. don't throw yourself into a fire, please. Okay. <laughs> I think that is probably then a good place to to go ahead and and wrap this up. Then, thank you guys all so much for listening. I uh, hope you've enjoyed season one of Something Something. We look forward to bringing you season two. We will be off next week, but we will be back with the next new episode on April 2nd. I guess with that, I'm just going to say, keep an eye open for mimics, never feed a goblin, and Something Something Dragons. Thank you.